All right, friends, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those and turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 1. We'll be in John 1 here in just a second, but we want to begin with these first three verses of Hebrews chapter 1. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, you'll find one of those underneath your seat. And so we would love for you to have that copy of the Bible that you'll find there. Please take that home with you. Uh, if you're looking for a place to read um, and don't really know where to start, uh, actually John 1, where we're preaching from today, is a really great place to begin uh, your kind of journey of trying to understand the claims of Jesus and who he was, to read the gospel according to John. is a really good place um, to start. But we want to begin here in Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verse 1, to kind of set up, kind of, this verse serves as a good transition from some of the things we've been talking about uh, this morning. So I'm going to read this uh, over us today. So Hebrews 1, verse 1, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke now, that, that should still floor us, that God has chosen to reveal himself to us and to speak to us. That, that's just amazing. That all should, that should always, we should stop there and say, wait, wait, God spoke? Like, how does that happen? And so we believe that he has, that God spoke. But how did he speak? That God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So we just walked through uh, kind of a, a brief overview of the Old Testament and that prophets are one of the people, one of the offices by which God is revealing himself to us through the pages of Scripture. But there is a very important word here in verse 2 that says, but. There's, there's something new here. There's something that's transformed here. He has spoken by the prophets. But look at what verse 2 says. But in these last days, he, God, has spoken to us. How? By his son, by Jesus. So there's a fuller of a revelation. There's, that, that was in the past. He has spoken by the prophets, but now today he has spoken to us by his son through Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things. So we're going to understand a little bit about who Jesus is and the claims of Scripture about Christ, that he's the heir of all things, through whom, through, through Jesus, he also created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. The glory of God is all that God is in his person, seen and made visible here. That's in Jesus. He's the radiance. He's the outshining of the glory of God. And Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature, of the nature of the Father. So if you want to know what God is like, Hebrews is saying to us, look at the person and the work and the teachings of Jesus. Because Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of the one true God, of the Father. And this Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. So from the word of Jesus, all things are created, and he upholds everything by the word of his power. This Jesus is not just um, a man that existed some odd 2,000 years ago, if that is true. These are Huge claims about um, the person and work of Jesus. And so we said earlier that worship we're defining is revelation and response. We see God for who he is and we respond to what we see. That's worship. Well, here's, what we're gonna, here's a statement for us in light of what Hebrews is telling us in Hebrews chapter 1. Jesus is the greatest and final revelation of God. So if you want to see Jesus... You want to see God, you're looking at Jesus, and Jesus is the final and the fullest of the, all the revelations, all the ways that God has made himself known through creation and through his word and through human history. The greatest of those, the most fullest of those is Jesus. And 
our response to Jesus is the greatest demonstration of worship. If that's true, if, we, if Jesus is the fullest display of who God is, what we have to do with Jesus today is the most important question that we are, are all asking. And, and for those of us who are in the room who are followers of Christ, you say, Derek, I've already done that, man. I understand that. That's not just a one and done. That's not just a one-time thing that we move on to something else. It is a constant submission to and love and adoration of uh, the person of Jesus. So here's what we want to do. We've, we've got to the point in the story. We're not in the Old Testament. We are in the New Testament. And if you're kind of new to this whole church thing, you maybe have been reading with us this last week, and we're reading these four um, men's names and these letters that they've written, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so just a little Bible hermeneutics kind of lesson here for you um all of those are given the same account it's the it's uh, four writers doing one account of the life of jesus so think like a documentary if you will they're all following jesus and and kind of looking at his life and recording his teachings but each man is going to come at it from a different angle and they're going to focus based upon the audience they're writing to a different aspect about the person and work and the character of jesus so matthew he's writing to the jewish audience and so he's focusing very much on jesus as king he is the long-awaited king of, uh, of his people. He focuses, you'll see that theme a lot throughout the gospel according to Matthew. But then Mark, we, we did a year and a half study of Mark about a year and a half ago. Uh, we saw Jesus as servant, and he's active, and he's moving. There's a, there's a lot of immediacy happening in the gospel of Mark, but we see Jesus as the servant king in, in the gospel of Mark. And then Luke says, focuses in on the humanity of Jesus. That this God who spoke everything into existence is a real flesh and blood, fully human person walking around. He focuses a lot on his humanity. Maybe it's because Luke was the physician and he focused that way. But then we're going to see John today. We're looking at one of the four gospel writers. And John is going to focus in on something a little bit different. He's going to see Jesus through a different angle. It's like a diamond. There's all the different facets and the, and the angles of a diamond. Uh, we see it in a different side of who Jesus is. And John is focusing in on Jesus as God. That's going to be the theme throughout all of the book of John. As you're writing about Jesus, the same events, you'll see a lot of parallel accounts happening in these four Gospels, but they're all pointing to, to Jesus. And these four men were men who walked with Jesus. They were his disciples. They were the one he went up to them and said, come follow me. So these are eyewitnesses accounts of the person and work of Jesus. So let's read it like that. I think so many of us, we've been familiar with Christianity and the church that we read the Bible and you say, yeah, I mean, I know all these things. I've heard these verses, especially John 1. And if you've been around church any length of time, you've heard John 1 read. But what I want us to see is that this is rooted in history. This is rooted in reality. These are real men who really existed and who are really writing things that they really saw. The Bible is not written like a fairy tale book. The Bible is written as historical accounts. It's not written as fable. It's written as truth. And people died believing these things. And so let's submit ourselves to this and let's come to the word uh, together this morning. And we're going to begin reading in John chapter 1. So if you'll turn there with me, John 1, uh, we'll begin reading in verse 14. We'll go back up and hit the verses in between. But I want us to begin by seeing who this John is. And so we've already kind of said he's uh, one of the disciples, but he was one of the inner three of the disciples. He had the guys that were really close with Jesus. And John got to have an inside track uh, to the person in the ministry uh, of Jesus. And he was, they call him the disciple whom Jesus loved. He had a very close, intimate relationship with our Savior. And I love this, how John 1 starts out. This is so important for us. 
He spent over three years walking with Jesus, watching his miracles, listening to his teaching, and all of the disciples, because they didn't have the Spirit of God indwelling them yet, really didn't fully grasp who he was. They, they would watch all these things, like, hey, this guy's different than every other teacher we've ever heard. Something's different about this Jesus. But they never really fully got it. There were glimpses, you know, when Peter would say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. There's moments where the light bulb kind of flashes and go, wait, maybe Jesus is this long-awaited one that the Old Testament has been telling us about. But for the most part, they did not really understand who he was. And listen, John does not want us to make the same mistake. He's writing to us, and he's going to start out differently than all the other gospel writers. Most of the, of the gospels begin with what we would know as the Christmas story, right? The manger in Bethlehem and all of that. But John goes way back. and doesn't just start on the ground. Although those things are important, we need those accounts. And it's just as important that Jesus is fully human. But John is going to say, no, 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 I'm going to start off. And I'm not going to you know, wait to the end to kind of do the right hook and tell you who Jesus is. I'm going to be the very first words on the very first page that I'm writing to you. I don't want you to have any mistake about who Jesus is. I want you to know him as he's revealed himself. Don't miss it like I did. Like, lean in, John says to who this man was. And so John 1.14 summarizes uh, the first 13 verses. So let's read that first. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. So, I have a question. Why does He not just say Jesus came and dwelt among us. Why does he use this label, this title of the Word? What's the significance of that? Nothing's by accident, it's the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Why does John, telling us about Jesus, call him the Word? Why doesn't he just say Jesus or God or Jesus, the Son of God? Why does he use the phrase the Word? And so it's kind of a, uh, we, different scholars wrestle with this, um, but the word logos, the word word logos, literally it was a Greek philosophical thought of that day. And it kind of had the idea of the logos was the spirit of reason that kind of gave order to everything in the world. It was the, the, the greatest reality, the height of reason, the height of truth. Uh, and it was very much lofty. It was very conceptual. It was very out there. And then all of us peons down here on earth uh, struggling to make sense of reality. The Logos was the defining force that held everything together. It was truth. Truth. And so when John uses this word Logos intentionally speaking to this audience, they, they would have heard that to say, they would have understood, oh, this is the all-defining reality. Everything flows from this Logos. Everything is held together by this Logos. But then he says something just remarkably unthinkable to the people of that day. That the Logos, this lofty thing, has become flesh. Like they, they would have said, no way. There's no way that those two realities go together. And John says, no, no, no. In the gospel, in Jesus, he takes all of this thought that you, you're looking to up in the sky at this force to make sense of the world. But I want you to know that the Logos really is, that's just a shadow of the one true God. And you're worshiping falsely. And the one true God is Jesus. And he's come and dwelt among us. Literally, that word dwelt means tabernacled among us. He's made his home there. Remember, the tabernacle was the place that God dwells among his people. And John is saying, Jesus is the tabernacle. He's the temple. 
God has come with us, among us. He's dwelt, he's pitched his tent. He put skin on. The logos, the word, put skin on. And so that's the Greeks, but even in our day today, we still understand the word to mean something to us. We kinda, if it's flowed with our original language. When we use words, we're meaning to communicate something. We use letters arranged phonetically to put together in sentences, and we make meaning with one another. It's, it's language, it's communication, it's absolutely brilliant. And God is saying, listen, I am communicating with you. I'm revealing myself to you. I'm showing who I am to you. I'm, I want to be known. And, and I'm going to do so in such a vivid way. I'm going to come myself, God, and put skin on and dwell among you. To cry your tears, to feel your hurt, to eat with you and to, to be with you, to be friends with you. Jesus had these relationships fully human, but simultaneously true, fully God. He came for a purpose. We're going to see that purpose together this morning. That's just amazing. That is kind of at the, the middle of our faith. That's, that's theology 101. It's, Jesus is fully God and fully human. Church history has, people have died defending this truth. To mix up any of this is to go into heresy. Like this is what it means to be Christian, is to believe this about our Savior. So uh, let's continue on about this. But I want to, to see this huge claim that we have about Jesus. It has huge implications for our lives today. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. The words will be on the screen. It says, For in Him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. There's another claim that Jesus is saying, In the person of Christ, everything that God is, is, is in Him. And I love that, pleased to dwell. It's the same word from John 1, that He dwelt among us tabernacle here it's he's here and he's visible and so let me just come up away from the bible for a second and speak to some of you out here that may be skeptical of christianity that may not believe in jesus let me just say you're we're glad you're here uh jesus is big enough for your questions i hope it's a safe place uh for you to ask those questions but we speak to the skeptic have you ever heard of the guy c.s lewis you ever heard of c.s lewis okay he's a writer and theologian he said this about jesus and i've said it before and so for all of us let's wrestle uh, with these truths um that Jesus is either, he's one of four realities. You have to put him here. He's either liar, because he clearly claimed himself from his mouth to be God. So if we don't believe he's God, we don't believe that in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, you have to look at the historical Jesus and say, that guy was a liar. And, or you have to look at him and say, he wasn't a liar. He wasn't intentionally being deceptive. He was just a lunatic. He was just delusional. He was crazy. He thought he was God, but he really wasn't. Or some people would even put him under the category of legend. That, you know, I mean, he, the historical Jesus wasn't even a historical Jesus. There might have been a guy named Jesus, you know, back in the day. But uh, the Jesus of the Bible doesn't really exist. It's legends fabricated by the early church. Jesus, This Jesus doesn't even exist. He never walked this earth. You put him in one of those three camps, or we must say that Jesus is, in fact, Lord. Maybe, just maybe, Jesus really is who he says he is. Maybe he is the fullness of God dwelling bodily. Maybe it really is the fulfillment of all human history. Maybe it just, maybe it is the reason that we even look at time this way in B.C. and A.D. And it's just all hinging around this event of the coming of Christ. All of history pointing to Jesus. All of history looking back from Jesus, flowing from Jesus, looking for Jesus' return. And so we all have to wrestle with this. If you're here and you're an unbeliever, 
Who is Jesus? And I would just challenge you to start there. Look at the claims of Christ. Is the resurrection true? Because if he really did rise from the dead, if he really did say these things, what if he was God? Then what would that mean for our lives? It would mean total submission. It would mean everything. Like I'm, I'm going to follow him with everything that I have. There is no middle ground. Either we have to say, I have nothing to do with Jesus. He was just crazy or a liar or just a legend. All this is false. Or he's worth everything. And that's for all of us that have, have bowed the knee to King Jesus. Listen, that is just as true of our lives today than it is what it was when you came to faith in Christ. It is Jesus who he says he is. And what does that mean for your marriages? What does that mean for the way you make decisions for your career? What does that mean for the way that we see money and sexuality and the way that we love our city and the way that we go to the nations? What does that mean for us if Jesus is, in fact, who he says that he is? Because if if this is not true, guys, listen, we're crazy. (laughs) Do you get that? Like, we're, we're crazy people to believe that Jesus really did live and he really did die and he really did rise again and this was God. If that is true, I'm willing to give everything for it. And if it's not... I quit. <laughs> I quit my job. I got to do something else. I don't want to give my life to falsehood. But if it is true, listen, it will change everything. It will change everything. This is not just the point of the Bible. It's the point of our lives. It's the point of our lives. So, John 1, 1. Let's go back. Okay? John 1, 1. What John's going to do is just unpack the argument. Here's why I believe Jesus is God. <laughs> the Word became flesh and he dwelled among us, and we have seen his glory. So let's look at this Jesus very, very, very quickly. John 1, 1 through 3, let's read this together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him, verse 4, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So, real quick, I just want to walk us through that passage and see these phrases, okay? Look, let, let us see Jesus as he actually is, okay? First, let us see Jesus' eternality. Eternality, that first phrase, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, the representation of God. In the beginning was the Word. That, that, that's, that's just staggering. Here's what he's saying. When the beginning began, he already was. He's eternal. He's not, he exists apart from space and time. He is not limited like we are. He is eternal. And this was here describes continuous ongoing action. It's just a continual being that from eternity past, Jesus just was. Just existed before anything was. I mean, nothing in the universe is created. And then there's God. This is our Jesus. And Jesus even affirmed this when they said, uh, how dare you pretty much put yourself in the place of God? And he says, listen, before Abraham was, you know what he said? I am. That's the personal name of God. So it's a direct claim of divinity. He says, I am Yahweh. I am the God. Before Abraham was, Yahweh, I am. And he says, the word I am is, I'm just continual. I've always been. I never was. I just am. He's eternal. That's why Jude 25, we read it earlier as we open up our worship gathering this morning. It says, to the only God, our Savior through Jesus Christ. See that Jesus is the only God, fully God. Our Lord be glory and majesty and dominion and authority. Notice, before all time and now and forever. 
Notice it before all time. It's the eternality of Jesus. He always was. That ought to just cause us to worship. But not just his eternality. See Jesus' relationship with God. It says, and the word was with God, verse 1. He says that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. This word with is such a rich word. I wish we could geek out about this for a second, but we won't. This word with has the idea of in the face of. And it's this idea that Jesus existed in eternity face to face with God the Father and with God the Spirit. You say, Derek, that makes no sense to me. That is so weird. And I know the Trinity is so hard to understand, but this is a direct claim for the Trinity, that Jesus was with God. There's this, here's the, the doctrine of the Trinity in a statement, is that there's one God, one divine essence. We don't worship three gods. We worship one God. But that, the, that one God reveals himself in three distinct persons. The three distinct persons, Father, Son, Spirit. All God, but three distinct persons. So Jesus, listen, is not a competitor with God. He's not another God. He is God, but he's also with God. And there's this relationship with the Father, with the Son, and with the Spirit. This, this relationship of love. And because that's why we're created in, for community, by the way, is that God is a community in himself. Is that before time, he didn't need us to show love. He was showing love in, his, in himself. Father, Son, and Spirit loving one another in fullness. That's why we can say God is love. is because there's three persons of the Godhead. And I want you to see this from the mouth of Jesus, if you don't believe me, about the Trinity. Notice John chapter 17, verse 5. The words will be on the screen. This is Jesus. He's praying to God, the Father. He says, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence. Notice, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. See that? This relationship that was before time. He was with God. We've got to move on. We've got to see Jesus' identity as well. He was not just with God. He was God. He was God. And this was, the Word was God. It doesn't get much more explicit than that. This is God that we're dealing with. And that's why John chapter 14, from the mouth of Jesus. Again, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Direct claim, from the mouth of Jesus, I am God. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. And, and, and this is one of my favorite apologetics for Jesus being God. His own half-brother, James, his own half-brother, worshipped Jesus as God. Now, if you've got brothers in here, brothers or sisters, how much do you have to convince your brother or sister that you're God and they actually believe you? Okay? Like, I mean, that's going to be a hard thing to do. And yet, James, the half-brother of Jesus, worshipped Jesus Christ as God. I mean, just saying, Jesus is God. Like, that's, that's my, I'm not calling my brother God. Ain't going to happen. All right? Not, no way, no how. All right. Let's keep moving. We see in verse 3 his relationship with the world. Real quick, I'm going to move through this quick. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. All things from the mouth of God. Don't let this, don't, don't get bored with this statement. Everything we see came from the mouth of Jesus. Me and some buddies here uh, went pack backing. Pack backing? Wow. You try to do this. This is hard, people. Um, 
backpacking up in, in uh, Mount Rogers of Virginia over Labor Day weekend. And I'm just telling you, we had like one of those moments, you know, like 2 a.m. laying out under the stars. It's kind of weird for three dudes to be laying in the field looking at stars together, but we did. Um, and, and we just had this shrinking feeling. I've never seen such an expanse and such the stars were just so clear. Um, and I was, we all were just sitting there talking like, like how, who, how could you not believe God exists and that he created that. And let me be honest, sometimes I doubt the existence of God, even as a pastor. Like I struggle with doubt and go, is all this real? And I'm sitting there with this shrinking feeling going, there's something so much bigger than me. And this didn't come from me and it didn't come from just chance. This is from the divine hand of God. And we're seeing that Jesus spoke everything into existence. We were driving over here this morning, my wife and I, and just the, the, I love these mountains that just our church just sits right at the base of. Aren't they beautiful? We're driving over the hill. We just come up over 26, but take the exit, and it was just, just glowing. The mountains were so beautiful. It's from the mouth of Jesus. He spoke that into existence. Worship him. And then lastly, we see Jesus self-existent. It says, in him was life. Life. That's the ultimate reality. No, listen, nothing um, Jesus created everything. In him was life. But he's self-existent. He is life. He just exists. He doesn't receive his life from anybody. He just is. It's just amazing to me that this is who Jesus is. That's why he would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's who I am. And listen, that's narrow-minded only if it's not true. Like, if that actually is true, that's not narrow-minded. Jesus said, that, that, oh, it really is me. Like, that's, that's who I am. I am life. Everything else in this world is becoming something. It's changing. It receives its life from something else. But Jesus said, not me. I'm completely self-existent. I don't need anything. All right. So I promise you, I'm finishing, okay? I'm finishing. But here's what I want uh, to wrestle with. That's who Jesus is, okay? John said, this is who I am. Here's the reality. Here's the response that we must have. That union or, 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 in, or being connected to that Jesus is a matter of life and death. If he's the eternal God, if he exists apart from space and time, if he is God with God in the Trinity, and he is life, he is life, then how you're connected to him is a matter of life and death. That changes everything about all of us. It changes us from the inside out. And our culture asks a lot of questions of us. Doesn't it? What's important? What do you live your life for? Even the church throughout history has asked a lot of questions. Some important, some not so important. We've defined ourselves as the church by stuff that ultimately doesn't matter. Can I just confess that? But here's what matters. Here's the, the bullseye of it. Is are you in Jesus? Do you have a relationship with him? Are you or do you know him? Have you come to experience the God of the Bible? Not have you been good enough? Not do you live their life this way? Don't you see the world this way? All that stuff will come. Do you know Jesus? Have you ever had a point in your life where you were no longer in your sin, but you were placed in Jesus? And so if all of life comes from Jesus, that's not just physical life. It's also spiritual life. Because we believe as Christians that we're not just bodies walking around, that we have a soul, that we're something you know, we, we are we're, we're someone. And I want you to, I want to read three statements from the mouth of G- Jesus, from John. I want you to read this to you. Okay, the words will be on the screen. Notice this, this phrase of life, though, okay? And we're getting somewhere, so hang with me. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. 
And this life is where? In his son. That's where life is. Not anywhere else. It's in Jesus. Verse 12. Whoever has the son has what? Life. Whoever does not have the son of God, what? Does not have life. Like, it doesn't get much more simple than that. Like, if you are in Jesus, you are alive. And if you are not in Jesus, you're not. I mean, that's, just, that's just the reality. We've got to wrestle with it. It's, it's, it's simple. John 5.40 says, Jesus is saying to the, to the Pharisees, they were arguing about Scripture. And he says, listen, the Scripture is all about me. And he says, yet you refuse, verse 40, to come to me. Why? That you may have life. Jesus said, I'm offering life to you. But if you won't come to me, you're not going to get life. And then he says one more, John 10.10. The thief, the, the enemy, Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I came that they may have life. And that life abundantly. Not just mere survival, but an actual real life of flowing. All right. So here's two statements and we're done. First, spiritual death is spiritual blindness. So we're going to keep reading here. Uh, in verse 4b, it says, The life was the light of men. So in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Somehow he made a turn. Why is he starting to talk about light? What's, what's happening here? Verse 5, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So here's the point. Life is the principle we're talking about, and light is the analogy. Here's what I mean. There's this connection that we are dead in our sins, the Bible tells us. And here's why we're dead in our sins. This is so important. We're dead in our sins because we can't see Jesus. The light of life, John would call it. That we have no life, we're spiritually dead, and that death is precisely because we can't see God for who He is. We don't have the light. We're living in darkness, Scripture would say. This is what's true of, of all of us. And so John 1, 9 through 11, let's read it. It says, the true light, this is Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So he came as a man. Verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. They didn't know him because they, they didn't receive him because they didn't know him. They were dead because they couldn't see. Jesus walking right in front of them and they said, we have nothing for you. All of these promises that we've been looking at for 10 months in the Old Testament leading up to that person and yet they looked at him and said, no. Because they wanted their sin more than they wanted to believe that this could be the provision of God. Like he really has come in a person. And that's the point of this message. He came to his own and they did not receive him. The Bible says it's because they were in the darkness. They couldn't see the light of Jesus, the light of God, God himself there. And they missed it. They missed it. That's why 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 would say this. The words will be on the screen. In their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from what? From seeing dead they're blind and they did that to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of christ who is what the image of god as john 1 we can see him he's the word he's the logos it's what satan does and so listen i'm begging you it's what we say every week look at jesus 
Don't look away from him. Look at him. And if you can't see him, we need something to happen. Like how do we go from spiritual deadness because of our spiritual darkness? How does that, how does that change? Is it because we just do more? Because we try harder? You know, like we just, how do we see Jesus? What, what, what do we do here? So if spiritual death is spiritual darkness, here's the next phrase. New life brings new light. When we're raised to life inside, it changes our surroundings and changes the light around us. So John 1, let's keep reading, verse 12. So he came to his own people, verse 11, and his own people did not receive him. But, verse 12, but, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Well, how do we become children of God? How do we come into the family? That means if you're not in Christ, you're not a part of the family of God. You're you're far from him. You're orphaned. But verse 13 tells us how this happens. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, who were born? Who were born? And so for the sake of sounding really old school Baptist preacher, you must be born again. <laughs> they, they get that from Scripture, by the way. That's why they're right on that one. You must be born again. Because we're dead. You need new life. Religion can't do that for us. Trying hard can't produce life inside of us the people that we love listen if you're here and you don't know jesus we love you and we are going to go to the nations and we're going to go tell people about jesus and it's not because we're narrow-minded or bigoted or arrogant we believe this is true and we know that unless god in his grace does not give life there will be no life And, and that's true for me listen so if we're here and you have life listen this ought to humble us there's nothing you did to make yourself alive. That for whatever reason, one day, God just chose to just turn the lights on. And you saw Jesus. Isn't that true? Think about to the point in time that you came to faith in Christ. You were not wanting Jesus, right? You were just going your own way. And something changed in you. Someone loved you to share the gospel with you. And something changed. I, I, I no longer want that stuff. I want Jesus. Like, Why do I want Jesus? I don't want Jesus. Why do I want to come to church? I hate the church. And yet there's just this change in me. It's new birth. That's why, oh, that's why John 3.3. 3. Remember, it's a couple chapters later. Remember the story of Nicodemus? Remember that? He says, you must be born again. Jesus says that. And Nicodemus, rightfully so, goes, homie how's that happen you know like i don't think my mom is gonna like that if i you know this is weird like how's this gonna work like how does this work that's exactly what he says by the way go read it it's there um but john 3 3 um says this this is jesus's response truly truly i say to you unless one is what born again made alive here's the connection though if you're gonna have spiritual life what's the next one he cannot what see Unless there's life, you're never going to see the kingdom. You're never going to see the king. You're never going to love the king. None of this makes sense to you if you don't have life. But oh, if you get life. Oh, if he shows you who he is. It changes things. It changes things. And so you say, Derek, how is this possible? Okay, all right, I get it. How do I get this life? How do I get the spiritual darkness? And by the way, people argue about which one comes first. You know, it's like this. If you close your eyes and you open your eyes, you see light. Which one happened first, the opening of your eyes or the seeing of light? 
it's like they kind of happened at the same time, didn't they? I mean, just open my eyes, and that same activity, like let light shine in. And so this is the truth. It happens simultaneously that when we receive Jesus, when we believe in his name, John says, say, I believe that this is what is happening around me. This is truth. I don't want to die for my sin anymore. I can't live for my sin. I trust Christ. What happens is he promises to birth new life in us. You say, how does that happen? It's because he is life. Remember, we just read that, verse 3, Jesus is life. And so he puts you in himself. That's how he makes you alive, is he gives you his life. And he does so by opening up your eyes to see who he is. And that happens at the same time, and it's the gift of grace. That's why John 1.14, we'll close with this. I know I've closed 15 times, but what are you going to do? All right. Please don't do anything really violent. Okay. Um, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. There's the word. We've seen it. We can see the glory of God. How? Through Jesus. Glories of the only Son from the Father. But here's what you've got to know about Jesus. Full of grace and full of truth. That's who he is. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. And so, if you'll bow your head, close your eyes. I'm just going to do this because if I don't, I'll never hush. And if our team will come on up uh, here. Listen, there's nothing magical about this time. We're not going to do some big passionate plea to make you make a decision for Christ. It's not what we're going to do here. Um, but I, I, want us to, I want you to ask yourself this question. Who is Jesus? And do I know him? Have I been transformed by him? Listen, I say this all the time, and I'll keep saying it. Church is a terrible hobby. <laughs> like, why would you want to try to live this religious game? Like, don't do that, but we're saying, man, we do all of this for a reason, is to come to know this person of Christ, to know him as he actually is. And the way we come to know that, the way we come to be born again and to receive the light of life, we see Jesus. The way that happens is because he has come for us, but he says that he came full of grace and truth. It can't be either or. It's truth because you've got to come the way he said. You can't just come anyway because he's the one that's purchasing this. But he's also full of grace. And I love it. It says it's grace on top of grace. Literally in the language, it means grace heaped on grace. Just a big old pile of grace that Jesus offers. That this grace of the law shows us. The law came through Moses. We read about that back in the Exodus. The law shows us our sin. It says, you are separated from God. This is who God is. You haven't done it. So stop trying to act like you've done it. And just say, God, I need your life. I don't want to be a fake anymore. I, I want to know you and when you do that the law shows us our need for jesus but then we see that jesus meets that need he gladly this son of god this god who spoke everything into existence by the word of his power climbed onto your cross like why did he come why did he dwell among us it was to die your death it was to make a way for you so see him hanging there dying in your place and rising again to offer you life do you see him god give us eyes to see you 
So if that's you, uh, I mean, you can, you can say, Jesus, I want you to be my life in your seat. You don't need to talk to anybody. You can just say, God, I'm in. I got, I'm done trying. Look, save me. There's no magical prayer you pray. It's just an acknowledging of him as Savior and Lord. But if you need to talk to somebody further, we would love to do that after the service. Please come by and talk to us. We would love to answer any questions you have. If you want to go get coffee this week, we'll talk more about it. We would love to do